For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Our amazing guest today is a comic book writer and artist, illustrator and animator. He's worked for IDW, DC Comics, Image, Top Trading Cards, Star Wars, and the amazing show How the Show Should Have Ended. His oddly normal series is a staple comic in many homes. Please welcome Otis Frampton to Epic Realms. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you uh, asking me to be on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited. We've talked off off stream here a little bit beforehand. I have met you uh, at shows and can you know you've been at conventions and you do all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's something I always was curious and I, and I like to ask this, especially for people that that do art as amazing as yours. Did you have like an early inspiration into arts or comics when you were a kid growing up? Uh, you know, my mom always tells the story that the first thing I ever drew was butter on carpet, uh, age two. That's what she always tells me. I- I've always drawn. I've always been, you know, in-, in elementary school, I was the kid who draws. You know, I was the one they always came to and said, draw my diorama. Can you draw my art project? And I did, of course. Um, <laughs> but, like, my my main... My main interest is really storytelling, and I, and I always say it. I, I'm not a I'm not an artist. I'm a writer who draws, uh, and that's always been my main focus because I've been I've been writing stories yeah. um, as long as I've been been drawing them too. You know, as a kid, writing like little plays and short stories and and unfinished novels, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's the storytelling that that has always drawn me to comics. No pun intended. But it and when I started reading comics. I knew I could draw. And so it was sort of a natural fit, you know, the visual storytelling. And I just kind of took to it. And uh, I, I remember sending samples to Marvel Comics when I was 12 years old and getting that nice form form rejection letter back. But uh, I've always wanted to make comics. How was it to later know that you were making comics and, and getting to draw some of these, you know, iconic characters? Well, it's, you know, it's a lot. It's fun. I mean, um, it, as far as like iconic characters, I haven't done much of that. You know, it's been uh, it's been here here and there. Um, and and frankly, my main interest has always been in telling my own stories. So when I when I started trying to make my own comics professionally, um, that was my goal. I, I jumped right into doing my own thing uh, and, and telling my own stories. And that, that's really always been my main interest. Uh, I, I've always I always say. I, I didn't want to draw things that George Lucas created. I wanted to be George Lucas. Yeah, that's that's great. That's a great way of saying it. A lot of people that are artists that want to draw comics, sometimes they can't write those stories or tell those stories. They can do the art, but they usually, you know, oftentimes have a hard time conceptualizing. This is the story. I can picture the art, but what is the story? And you seem to, you mentioned, you seem to have the skill of being able to do both. Um, have you run across that a lot in the industry with running across other people that are like, I can't really come up with a story, but man, I can draw. 
or are oh, a yeah. lot of people you come fact, across otherwise. One thing I always tell uh, comic artists who are like, well, I'm not a writer. I'm like, well, it, you're a visual storyteller because you're a comic artist. You know how to tell stories. So in a sense, you are a writer already. You just need to, to learn a little bit more of the craft of it. And it's, it's easy to do, especially these days. There's so many resources, free resources for learning how to write um, on YouTube, podcasts, everywhere. Just pick up a book and read something. I, I always encourage comic artists to try to write their own thing at least once because I feel like if, if you're a comic artist, if you're in, in com the medium of comics, if you work in the medium of comics and you're not trying to tell a story at least once, you're sort of only doing half, half the, the medium. You know, you're only experiencing half the medium if you're letting somebody else dictate what stories you're telling. And I think everybody has a story. Everyone who loves comics has their own stories. I, I just know it. I know they do. It's in there. They just gotta they gotta find it and and some of them are just waiting for permission. You know how sometimes you think you can't do something and, right. and you're like, well, I don't know if I if I can, I'm not ready. And I always tell people you'll never feel I don't feel ready. You'll never feel ready. You'll yeah. never feel ready. So you just so you might as well just start because it's gonna be what it is. And you'll you'll know if it's good or not. And odds are if you're a comic artist who's writing for the first time you're going to find out that you love it. You talked about everybody having their own story and your story is very unique because a lot of, a lot of artists and writers, they go to, you know, art school and all of the, the different things. And they, you know, go to maybe the, the Kubrick school of art or Kubrick school of art or wherever, but you didn't necessarily go through all those steps. Did you? No, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't necessarily say I'm self-taught because, you know, you learn from, you learn somehow. Right. You, you, no, nobody's teaching themselves, you know, in a vacuum, but I, I didn't go to school for this. Uh, I, you know, I, I've always sort of been on my own, doing my own thing. And I, I, did, I had a stint in the air force for six years that, where, you know, I, I joined the air force and I was like, you know what, I'm going to put myself in a position where I'm going to be on mission all day and, I'm, and then I'll come home and I'll work so hard so that when my six years are up, I can get published. And that's actually literally what happened. My first, my first creator on comic was published a few months after I got out of the air force. So my path has always been sort of, um, self-starter. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. learning, learning on my own, not necessarily self-taught, but, uh, I've always sort of done it on my own. And, um, you know, I, I've taken, taken classes online and, and, you know, done research, but, no, I'm, I, uh, I I did not go to school for this. Yeah. So I, sometimes I do feel at a disadvantage from that kind of thing because there's certain basics that I always feel a little behind the curve on. Yeah. But again, if, you know, I can always learn that as I go. But do you think that that also gives you your own your own way to look at things because you're not looking at it a way that somebody told you to look at it. You're looking at it your own way. Oh sure, the, that's the that's the flip side of like imposter syndrome, you know. Um, <laughs> the, the, there's the imposter syndrome side of the coin, and there's the side of the coin that's like, well, sure, your your stuff might not look like everybody else's, but maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, maybe the fact that your stuff doesn't look exactly like what everyone's doing at the time or before or after, it might stand out a little bit. I hope that's the case. I, I you know, I can't say that. I can't. I'm not the person that can make that kind of judgment. It's got to be the reader or the viewer who looks at it and says whether they enjoy it or not. I just hope that my work has some sort of some teeny tiny element of charm. That's, that's, that's my main focus when I'm drawing is like, is there any, is there charm to it? Because that's what draws me in. So. Right. One, you can go down the, 
you know, a comic book aisle and look at covers and go, that one looks like that one, and that one looks like that one, and that one looks like that one, and this one, this one looks like Otis Frampton. Like right off, right <laughs> off the bat, you can tell your art from some of the others that does, I don't want to say looks cookie cutter, but a lot of them look a little cookie cutter and yours definitely does not look like that. Yours has a very unique style and a very unique feel and it's fun. And I, and I don't know if that was, your, that. and I don't know if that's your intent, but I feel that that's what sells it to, to everybody. Well, yeah. I mean, it, fun is it. <laughs> I have some signs behind my Cintiq here, and one of them that says, add more joy. And that's just something I tell myself whenever I'm, I'm drawing. It's like, if if you're not feeling any joy in it, nobody looking at it will ever feel that. Um, yeah, I grew up, I was a kid in the, in the 80s. Um, and so that that's my comic experience. That's my, you know, that. But, and by that, I mean the time when I was thrown into the, into the comic pool and, and all my initial influences and interests were, were, were made. And I really feel like there was a lot more variety in terms of cartooning. And I say that, I say, I use the word cartooning kind of wide. Like I, I would include John Byrne in that. John Byrne to me is a, is a cartoonist. Um, these days you see a lot of like illustrators doing comics and it feels very sort of magazine cover to me. And I kind of miss the the cartoonist stage, and so that's kind of, I guess, where I aim my arrow artistically is, you know, for that 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 fun old comic feel. Yeah. Well, in that era of the '80s, did you did you grow up? Did you have a hard time balancing your your passion for writing and art with other, say, school endeavors? You know, you get into math uh, class and like you're doodling <laughs> instead of paying attention to math. But... School suffered. School that I was, I mean, I was a, a B student at best. Um, but like I, I was doing things like in high school, I was, you know, doing all kinds of creative things. Uh, I, I was the first student in my high school to write and direct their own play uh, as a senior. So I was always a self-starter. You know, I went to the principal and I was like, uh, I'd like to do a play. And he's like, um, I don't know about that. And I'm, I just did it. So when it comes to storytelling avenues, I've never really looked at it at the mainstream and said, this is how I think I should do it because this is how it's done. It's more like, well, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. I think that taking my book, Oddly Normal, to image, in some ways I did it the wrong way because uh, especially in the last like 20 years, image has become the kind of place where uh, – you're a comic artist, you make your bones on the mainstream, and then you go to Image with your creator own book and, you know, you do, maybe you make a little bank and you, and you get some success there. I didn't, I wasn't that guy, you know. I took a, I was a nobody who took their creator own book to Image just in a blind pitch and they, they took it. And that's been hard because it's tough to start from zero and, and build yourself up because at Image, you, you, you got to promote yourself. It's your, your own thing. They don't really promote anybody it's not that kind of publisher but um you know i wouldn't in some ways i wouldn't have it any other way i, I love the fact that they, they picked up the book and, and published it and it's been a great experience in, in in that i got to do the book the way i wanted to that to me i think is more important than than a lot of other stuff are you talking and i'm assuming you're talking about the oddly normal series yes talking about my my oddly normal series there it is <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, it's my, it, it's, it's my, you know, my main project, the one that, that gets, you know, my attention. Uh, and uh, I was shocked that they, uh, I got, I sent out blind pitches for oddly back in uh, 24, early 2014 when I was still working on it, thinking I was going to self publish it. 
And one day I'm like, you know, I got these two chapters finished and I got them printed up nice from Kablam for preview issues, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm just going to send them off to Seven Publish and see what happens. And I yeah. got two offers. So you never know what's going to happen. When I think, I think one of the things is that so many families and kids and adults, uh, I think they're drawn to that series because A, the art, but B, there's, there's the sense of, of, of fun and adventure and fantasy, but there's also a sense of this is me. Like they, they can identify with the character in that series. I hear that a lot. And I think yeah. that's, you know, do you get a lot of people that come up and tell you that that's them or that they identify with that when they come to you? At oh, some absolutely. Of the most people who, who read the series or fans of the series and come to, to see me at shows or, or store appearances, that's what they say. It's like, it's like this is me. This is, oddly is me, which I always reply with, well, that's funny because oddly is me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She's me. It's, there's so much of me in the character that it's astounding to me that other people can see themselves in the character. And I guess that just that speaks to the the universality of specificity, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, some, I guess there's this thing in, in writing where the more specific you are, the more universal you can become. And I think that's part of it. I think that she is a character that a lot of people feel like they were at least once in their life. The, yeah. the kid on the outs, the, the kid who felt too odd for anything, but really just felt like a normal kid inside. You know what I mean? That That's sort of the the big theme of the book. So. Yeah. And of course there's a, the fantasy element to it too, that the, the take yes. me away to this other, you know, world and get to, you know, I'm someone, I am someone special that can do these cool things as well. That is also a, a part of it that just sells. I mean, that's, that's almost every comic book out there is, you know, you want to be whoever they are is just as much. So, so do you get a lot of, uh, a lot of people that come up and, and just, you know, spew their life out to you because of the comic? When, when they see that, because uh, yes. with people that with with a subject matter like this, I can only imagine that sometimes these issues uh, of comics are deeply personal to some people. And it feels like this is one of them. Yeah, it is. Um, when, when I came up with the story, uh, it was way back in, in late 1999. That's how old the project is. Um, I, I kind of sort of lucked into just the whole concept. It, it, it sort of came to me all at once. The, the name, Oddly Normal, that's the name of the main character. Um, her being from a fantasy land, or her parents, her mother being from a fantasy land, uh, the idea that she's part human, part fantasy creation. Um, it all sort of came together. And then as I was working on the, on, it, on its first iteration as a webcomic, I remember getting to a certain point and looking back at the story I just told in the last maybe like 20 pages and thinking, oh, that happened to you. Like there's this scene in the book where I, after I finished it, I realized I just literally transplanted one of my own experiences of being bullied onto the page in a very almost literal fashion. And it, I'm sure that it, it's the kind of thing that every kid who's been bullied will read it and go, well, been there, you yeah. know, been, the, been that kid. So I get that a lot. Yeah, I get, I get life stories. I get, you know, childhood stories. And it's great knowing that, that, that I was able to be a reflection you know, in some way of their experiences and maybe reviewing it in a positive way through storytelling. Was that the series that kind of got your foot in the door as far as all of the other work you ended up coming across and getting to do since, since then? Sort of. Uh, 
like I said, it started as a webcomic. Um, <laughs> there was this website back in 2003 called girlomatic.com. I don't know if you remember it. But I don't. It was when webcom. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So webcomics were when they were first starting to explode, and I, I put it on there for a, a little while. And then uh, this small new publisher called uh, Viper Comics uh, from Texas found it, and they published the first iteration of it. Okay. Which which I was never, ever, ever happy with. I was very unhappy. I always hated it. I'm still, I still can't look at it. Um, and then, but I, but I knew I had something with the story. I knew I had something with the story. And uh, I, I knew it, it deserved a second life. And that's why I basically went back to the, the very beginning and redid the entire thing uh, from scratch. And so this, this image version that's uh, been out for the last, I don't know how many years, uh, is the redo and it's 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 the version i always wish i could have done way back then so but as far as other, those stuff I, uh, actually like i said right when i got out of the air force um they, uh, viper published the, the first version of oddly but i had also been doing enough like star wars fan art and throwing it online that uh, i managed to get uh, a gig doing star wars sketch cards for revenge of the sith right at the exact moment that oddly was first published. So they kind of coincided okay. and I, I, I built up my, my illustration uh, career side of things sort of can sort of in a, on a parallel track, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, they've never really touched, to be honest, my, because oddly is its own thing. I've always, it's always been a creator own thing. Um, but my, my illustration, my, my, my fan art is what got me, uh, you know, worked for higher gigs doing, lots of sketch cards doing the the dc the dc books that kind of thing okay so it's it's strange how the two things are almost they they, they exist simultaneously but they, they never really touched each other well let's talk so about the sketch cards real quick because uh, obviously tops did you do upper deck as well i read somewhere yep. that you had done a, so how did they come to you and like hey we've got this or did you send out stuff and be like hey i'm just seeing if you have any interest because you know, a lot of those places are kind of known for their sports memorabilia stuff. Mm -hmm. And so obviously they do, there's, there's cards for ding near every TV show, a team and you know, all of those things. Did they come to you or did you like just say, send them stuff and say, do you have anything for me? No, I, I got, um, I was recommended by somebody who was already doing sketch cards. Um, uh, some, another artist who I knew from, uh, uh, remember the, I don't know if you remember the, the force.net message boards back yeah. in the, back in the prequel days was yeah. a big thing. And I was, I was a, I was a big participant in the fan art forums and that's where a lot of fan artists were, were gaining traction. And that's where I got noticed. And another artist who had just done some sketch card sets gave my name to, I think his name is Dave. I think the editor's name is Dave Waldeck at tops. I think it was Dave who brought me on first. And once you're in, it's sort of like, you're on the mailing list of, you know, want to do this set, want to do this set, want to do this yeah. set, you know, and it just, it sort of snowballed where I think I've worked for four or five different sketch card companies over the years, uh, drawing thousands, literally thousands of sketch cards. <laughs> yeah. How many different things did you do? I, I, I know I've seen Lord of the Rings, obviously Star Wars stuff. What other kind of? Yeah. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, uh, uh, Marvel DC sets, numerous, numerous Star Wars sets over the years. Um, what else? Did I do Indiana Jones? I don't remember. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, like you put some of the you put some sketch cards uh, in your in your images for this for this show, and I honestly was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> and then I looked at it, I'm like, did I draw? I did draw that, didn't I? Because after you draw, so, and and also um, at the uh, at the time, I, I haven't done sketch cards in years, but at the time when I was 
big into doing sketch cards, you sort of, that's how I gained my, my like commission following my private commission list because yeah. uh, art collectors, they love sketch cards. And so um, for a while there, I was living off just doing commissions based on clients I'd met through sketch cards. Okay. But I've also drawn thousands of personal sketch cards, you know, just, you know, my own kind of thing. Uh, and it, you draw so many that you forget what you've done at a certain point with yeah. the sketch cards. Yeah. When you look back and you see something that you forgot about for years, does that, does it bring back nostalgia? Do you look at it and go, Oh, I did that. That was super cool. Oh, it's, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because one of the cards that you showed uh, in, in the rotation of images was uh, from Lord of the uh, Lord of the Rings set. I forget which one it was, but it was Lord of the Rings. And it was a, a drawing of Peter Jackson's character from the third film getting hit by the arrow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a pretty good Peter Jackson. I like thought that to myself. <laughs> it's like, I was thinking, yeah, yeah, you didn't do that too bad there. You know, I think there was a goth mug in there too. I, looked, I saw it and I was like, good job. That didn't suck, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a surprise when it, somebody shows me their sketch cards. I'll get random emails uh, still to this day of people, people just showing me that a sketch card they bought off eBay or something from mine. And I'll be like, don't remember that. Okay. <laughs> but will you recognize it as yours? Will you just look at it and be like, it's definitely my art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, definitely my art, but it's, it's more like I have no memory of drawing anything related to that, and it's it, that's weird, right? I mean, yeah. you think you think you remember, but you draw so much, it it starts to fade. Are there any sketch cards you kind of wish you would have been able to do, or maybe hope in the future you'd get to do? Well, you know, I I I, I asked out loud earlier if if I'd done Indiana Jones, I don't think I've done Indiana Jones. I think I actually had to pass on crystal skull set for some reason. And I didn't get to do it. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite movie of all time. So I, I part of me was like, yeah, it would have been fun, but yeah, well, it well, there's, there's a new one coming out. You better put those feelers out there. There's that new movie. Yeah. Maybe they'll do the retro and you can do all the movies. I don't know if I have the eyesight for sketch cards anymore. <laughs> <laughs> It, you know, it, you're looking down at this little piece of paper. I did that so long. I just, I can't do it. I don't think I can do it anymore. You just do it big and then you just shrink it down, right? I wish. Everything's digital. I wish I, wish I could do it. I wish I could just do all digital sketch cards. Then I'd still do it. <laughs> then they wouldn't be sketch cards. They'd be digital cards, right? Yeah, but they're still, I still, you know, hand draw. Yeah, yeah. I actually did get to do a, a base card for Reddit Seth. That was cool. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't interrupt there. No, yeah. that's all right. That's all right. Totally cool. Did you ever, were there artists, comic book artists or otherwise that you really looked up to uh, growing up in the, in the industry? Yeah. I mean, like I said, uh, kind of growing up in the eighties in comics, um, I was, again, I was attracted to like the storytelling. My, my, one of my favorite comic uh, creators of all time, John Byrne to me, is just the quintessential comic creator. He okay. writes, he draws. Um, I always knew I was looking at John Byrne's work. I always knew I was reading John's, John Byrne's work even when he was writing for other artists you could feel his style of storytelling so um it, it's you know it's weird i think my my influences have changed so much over the years that i, I can't i couldn't pin down one from that time from when yeah. i was younger uh i do know that like at a certain point it was probably 88 87 88 um i kind of stopped reading comics i, I kind of gave up on comics and was really interested in movies. Okay. Thought I was going to be a filmmaker. That was that was sort of my main pursuit in my high school years. But then uh, uh, I got into community college and um, and was in the film program, and I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. It was still it was still in the photochemical age. You know, it was before digital, so yeah. it was it was so expensive and it's so 
took so much time just to get an image. But I remember one day I was coming back from uh, class and I stopped at this comic shop. I walked into a comic shop for the first time in like four or five years. And it happened to be the week that Spawn number one came out. Okay. I didn't know who Todd, I didn't know who Todd McFarlane was. I had no idea what was going on. All I know was I looked at that cover and I was just like, what is that? That right. is amazing. And from that moment on, I, I knew I wanted to make comics again. So I took a little break. But yeah. once I saw Spawn number one and saw that sort of the cartoonist, the really ca- cartoony cartoonist could do mainstream comics, because that's what I think of when I think of Todd's stuff back then. He was a great cartoonist. Um, I was just blown away. I'm like, this is this is weird and quirky, and and the colors are amazing. I, I can't believe what I'm looking at. And ever since then, and I mean that that's why. That's one of the reasons why I chose Image to go to with Oddly uh, of the two that made me offers. It was partially that that nostalgia for like, well, Image is what got me back into comics all yeah. these years ago. I, I don't know if I could pass this up. Also, I wanted complete ownership, which is another you know great thing that Todd and the gang did is. You know, they made that a possibility. So I wanted to take advantage of that. Did you end up getting to meet either Todd or any of the, any of the people that you grew up on or that influenced you? And how, I, did, that, how did that interaction go? <laughs> my meeting my heroes uh, has gone spectacularly terrible in, in my life. Um, I stopped doing it. I stopped meeting my heroes back in about 2005 after an interaction with uh, one of my favorite comic creators of all time that did not go well. Um, I don't know what it is about me, but something something goes wrong. So when I did have a chance to meet Todd, uh, it was a few years back at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, I think book two of Oddly had just come out. And I was uh, I was signing the image booth. And he was there. He was right there. You know, I was here. And I'm just like, nope. Nope, not going to do it. I want my I – I don't want to ruin anything about <laughs> my – my feelings, you know what I mean? I don't want to risk annoying him at the wrong, t- you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's yeah. what usually happens. Yeah. I end up like annoying my, my heroes. So I don't do that, but you know, it, it was, it was nice knowing that, look, there's the guy who got me into comics and I'm sitting here at the image booth because it, you know, because of his comics. So that was a nice feeling. That is, that is super cool. That is super cool. I, I, I'll have a story for you afterwards. Those who are here watching live and those who listen to the podcast know uh, I had Chuck Dixon on and like he was one of my major comic book influences. And there were a few mistakes that were made and boy, was I embarrassed. <laughs> oh, geez. It's, it's just the worst, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, just, I feel you. It's totally understandable. Um, about working with writers, do you, you know, there are some times where you're just doing illustrations for stuff as well, right? Where you're yeah. not writing. How I, is that working with I've, other writers? I've done a I've done a handful of uh, work for hire uh, illustration gigs where uh, I, I would illustrate books. Um, it's it's. I don't want to say <laughs> it's it's I I'm a writer who draws, like I said. So those were really just pay the bill kind of gigs. Yeah. Um, I did get a chance to draw a story um, written by Louise Simonson okay. uh, for, for one book. It was a, you know, a kid's book. And that was cool just because I, I you know, I love Louise Simonson. She wrote, you know, power pack and, and uh, X factor. She wrote a bunch of stuff I read when I was a kid. So I was like, well, oh, that's kind of neat. Didn't get, like, didn't get to meet her, but, but like work for hire stuff. I, 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 I put everything I can into it, you know, in terms of my skill but it's not my, my passion. My yeah. passion is telling my own stories. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for sure. Let's uh, sh- shift gears a little bit here because okay. you have another series called ABCDEF Geek. 
And yes, there are so many people. So, so when I posted this on some of my, cause I usually promote my stuff on my personal uh, uh, social medias as well as my, the Epic Realm social medias. And I've had a handful of people say, Oh, the ABCDEF geek. It's one of my favorite things. I read it all the time and I, I love it. And in the back of my head, I was like, why does this sound super familiar? And then I went and looked at it. I was like, oh, yes, this. And then I had, I reacquainted myself, you know, preparing for this. I had I went through and I reacquainted myself with it. And I was laughing so hard going through those. Oh, and for thanks. those who don't know, they got you, you got to go and look at it because it's just hilarious. What inspired that series? What inspired? Uh, wanting to draw fan art and not make it boring. You know, I wanted, I, that was like a very, I had a very specific intention with that. I, I wanted to create something that was fun, that would make people laugh, that would, I wanted to do, I would wanted to do my own kind of alphabet thing for a long time. And um, just to, to let people know what it is, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it was a series of illustrations I did. Um, you know, it was A is for Akbar or, or uh, you know, E is for Ewok. And it would show a little, like, almost a single panel cartoon kind of thing, but not quite just an illustration. Uh, and when I finished the alphabet, people just they loved it. They loved it. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll have to print this. So I printed it up. And then I did a volume two. I printed that up too. And I was doing it on my own. So the printing was so expensive, I, I couldn't keep it going. And at a certain point, you know, I had to focus on, on oddly and other things. But I tell you what, at C2E2, the one day I was able to be there because I got sick, um, yeah. this last weekend, I had somebody come up and ask about ABCDEF Geek. And I haven't drawn one of those, I didn't like, six years maybe I, yeah. I didn't remember the last time i did it but people are still asking me for more so i really appreciate you bringing it up and 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 saying it made you laugh well there are so many the and being a comic book fan there's the there's the letter s and i always laugh at it because it's a picture of you know the superman logo and it's like s is for hope <laughs> it's like or whatever <laughs> i laughed so hard because if you know you know <laughs> But if you don't know, you're like, wait, what? That's not. It's that yeah, starts I, with an A. I tried to be a little subtle and and subversive on some of them too. It was it was a lot of fun. Some were way too subtle, I think. But other times, like with with the, with that and uh, and like T is for tribbles, which is just the whole thing is just a yeah yeah. You don't even see the T is for you yeah, just see the yeah. tribbles everywhere. <laughs> that, the, the the S is for hope <clears throat> was one of my favorites. Yeah, I I love it. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about Star Wars. You did you did some Star Wars comics. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but was that a, uh, like the Jawa series, was that like you going, hey, I want to do this, hey, I want to do this, hey, I want to do this, or was it they came to you? Now, the, the, me working on a, a story for, it was for Star Wars Adventures, the, the kids comic. Um, I, I was able to, I got to do my own, like, I think it was eight-page story. That was definitely something I sought out. I think it was like 2014 around that time I, I started drawing Jawas and I just loved, I found out that I loved drawing Jawas and I just kept doing it and it just wouldn't stop. And people really reacted to it. And so it was one of those cases where it's like, well, I like doing it. People like seeing what I'm doing. I'm going to lean into it. And I just kept going. And at a certain point I started creating these fake uh, comic covers for a, a hypothetical series called Jawa adventures. And I just pumped them out. I mean, I think I have over a hundred fake covers for for the fake comic and at a certain point i'm like you know what? i need to i need to try to get noticed you know by some people for this because i think that you know it might it might work yeah. and it did i managed to, to get the eyes of, of the editors at idw on my stuff and they let me do an eight page jawa story and a cover too which is cool so 
yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. I wish I could have done more. And I wish that I actually put up, a, I actually made a, I have, there's a page on my website um, and it's just the Jawa adventures. It's my pitch for this, this series and all like, you know, 100 covers of it um, never happened, but uh, I would have loved to have done it. That would have been a lot of fun. Well, let's, let's cross our fingers that eventually someday we'll get to see that. Yeah. I'd, I would still say yes, Disney, please. I would still say yes. <laughs> Because they're just so much fun. I, one thing I found about the, the Jawas is that um, it's like with minions. You know, you can put them in any situation. You know, right. serious, funny, weird, parody, and they just work. There's something about the, those characters with those big yellow eyes that people go, people look at, and there's, you know, there's no agenda. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's just fun Star Wars, and that's what I I really wanted people to take away from. from all the illustrations that just you know look at look at it and go you know what yeah Star Wars can be just fun yeah you know it's kind of like the tribbles it's like they're there and they're yeah. they're either getting into trouble or they're not or they're fun mm-hmm. or they're not yep you also have your series uh, that you've been working on it's the it's like a web series uh, which I didn't know that you worked on until I started researching this and I was like oh the how it should have ended oh how it should have yeah and yeah I. How did that come to be? How did you get on on that? And and tell us a little bit about your work with that. Uh, I worked for, I worked for How It Should Own It from 2011 to 2018 because I think I think it was 2018 because I think one of the last ones I did I was working on it on my on my honeymoon <laughs> on the road <laughs> seriously, but uh, so I guess it was the 2010 time frame. Um, like I said, I, for a few years I lived. I lived off of uh, private commission work, yeah. mostly digital commission actually. And so for a while there, I was posting, you know, numerous images per week that were basically fan art, you know, cause people would say, Hey, I want you to draw Indiana Jones like this, or, you know, Luke Skywalker like this. And so I was constantly posting stuff to, to deviant art and Daniel Baxter, who is uh, the co-creator of the show and the main artist, animator, voice actor. Uh, he had at that time, was expanding him and his, his producing partner Tina were expanding and they had been hired by this game channel to do video game how it should have ended so they needed someone to come on and help out and he had been a fan of my work and just out of the blue one day I got an email from Daniel which is so odd because literally like a month before that is when I first saw how it should have ended I had just started okay. watching it myself and look at this email it's like hey would you like to do how it should have ended with us I just fell into it you know, I fell into it and ended up working as a, a background character artist on probably about a hundred hundred episodes, I think. Yeah, about that. I think the last one I did was Deadpool two. So a lot of like the background scenes and the and the drop drops where the characters you know, with you take the characters out, the background artists, a lot of yeah. it's the stuff that you've worked on. Yes, I, I I was a you know it was again it was a work for hire situation because I was a, 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 a sub I was subcontracted to do this work. So I mean I have I had nothing to do with the writing I'm, I'm not an yeah. owner of the show yeah I was an employee for you know seven years or however long it was it was interesting because they hired me to be the, the uh, a background artist and do characters every once in a while um, which was more in line with what I usually kind of draw you know but the background stuff I, I I'm not trained to paint backgrounds yeah I just had to you know dive in and and it was he he basically had seen all the backgrounds I was doing for my, my digital commissions, which were, you know, sort of painterly, but not quite because I'm, I'm not a painter. And I ended up, you know, just jumping in and doing that for, for years and years. It's, 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 I'm grateful because it's a skill I now have. Yeah. Um, but it was weird at the time. Cause I'm like, hmm, I have no training for this, but I guess I'll just do it. 
Is it one of those they told you, can you do this? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I can totally do that. I sure. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly that. You know, the old, the old thing where an actor puts on his resume, yeah, I can ride a horse and they, yep. they can't. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're a creative person and somebody, you know, has a job that you want and, but it requires a certain thing, definitely say you can do it and learn on the way. That's yeah. how I did. I learned, I learned as I went and, uh, you know, they kept hiring me. So I guess I did. Okay. Was that fun for you to be able to work on that and say that you were working on that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, <clears throat> uh, I used to have a convention banner that, uh, that I just retired cause I really, I didn't want to have it up anymore, but, um, it was a, how it invented. It had some of my work on it from the show. People went nuts when they found me at conventions because the, the other guys on the, on the team, they're not really comic people. They, they don't, they're not really conventions people. So they don't really get out and interact with others. Yeah. So, and it was, people loved seeing somebody who worked for that show. I, I, I can't, I can't, it was so amazing. The connections that I made just on a one-on-one basis, because I mean, I was a fan of the show too. I was working on it, but I was a fan too. So, yeah. you know, getting get to talk about your favorite episodes and things at shows, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. How is it not knowing that the what the story was or what was going to happen? You just have the art and then you see the show and see how it's used. Oh, well, I mean, for, for how she invented because it's a parody show, you know, it, it parodies TVs and TV shows and movies, movies mainly. Um, I always had a sense of, of what was what was going on for the most part because it, it stuck to existing things. Yeah. But one of the one of the interesting things about that working on that show is the challenge of painting backgrounds or drawing characters based on movies that are currently out in theaters and, and getting the reference for it. You know, I had to, I had, I went and saw a few movies that I never would have watched previously just because I knew I'd, I was going to have to paint backgrounds. Like, okay. And so I'd go and I'd watch and I'd be like, remember that, remember that, remember that. You know? <laughs> I'd have the breakdowns of what I need to paint, but I'd have no idea, you know, what was, what was going on in the movie until I actually saw it. But it was, it was, it was a really great challenge working on that show for me um, because it, it worked different muscles uh, than I usually, you know, work in comics. Yeah. It's a whole different type of thing. Go Going back to ABCDEF Geek. Yeah. Um, they actually let me put a, uh, create a couple of animated versions of ABCDEF Geek uh, still on their channel. So if you want to check out some of uh, my work, my animation, you can go to their channel and, and look at those. I think I did uh, A is for Akbar and J is for Josh, which was a parody of Joss Whedon getting yeah. called Josh. <laughs> Oh, I love it. What uh, what are you working on now? What are your what are your projects nowadays? Well, uh, I'll be normal is four books in, so, so I'm working on the the fifth. I'll be book slowly but surely. Um, I'm not sure when it's going to come out, uh, but it's being worked on. Uh, and I also have two web comics that I do, and those are distributed exclusively through my newsletter at the at the time. Uh, one is called uh, The Mighty You Buy, and it's a little sci-fi story that's sort of a cross between Jawas and the Seven Samurai. Although, yeah. if you if you if you've read up until now, you might might be like Seven Samurai, really. But trust me, look at there. <laughs> uh, and the other one is uh, a comic adaptation of the seventh book in the the Oz series by Al Frank Baum called The Patchwork Girl of Oz. I'm a huge Oz fan. Always have been. There's huge Oz influence in Oddly Normal. If you've read the books, you know it's right there, like you know, within the first ten pages. Yeah. I like I, I cite Dorothy in, in a certain sense. Uh, Dorothy in, in the Wicked Wish. For years, I wanted to do my an adaptation, a comic adaptation of, of Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's a book I've loved since I was a kid. I always wanted to do it. And when I was briefly considering doing it, 
literally within the space of a year, two different adaptations came out. Uh, one by, I think he's a French artist, or no, he's Spanish. Uh, but the Spanish uh, version came out, it was put out by image uh, in English language English version. And of course the, uh, the Eric Schenauer, Scotty Young series for Marvel started. And uh, <clears throat> they were both so amazing. I'm like, well, oh, guess I'm not doing that. Uh, and then, but I, but I kept thinking, God, I want to do an Oz. I want to do an Oz comic so bad. And for a few years, I was just drawing different versions of the characters from, from the series just for fun. And I remember drawing the, the patchwork girl and, and Ojo, the other, the main character in the book. Um, and I'm like, got to do it. Marvel stop at six, uh, sevens, sevens there to, for the taking it's public domain. I'm going to do it. And so I started doing it. And that, you know, that's, that's, that's why I'm just a huge Oz fan. So I think you can find that on your website, otisrampton.com. Yeah, if you go to otisrampton.com, um, there's a you can you can subscribe to my newsletter, and the entire archive for both the the web comics are, are there for free to read if you want to want to look for them. Um, I'm considering branching out and maybe putting uh, putting this series on um, on global comics. Uh, some of the you know some of the the web comic hubs that are, yeah. that are popping up and yeah. our webtoons. Not sure what I'm going to do about that yet because right now it's it's one of the things that I'm I, I'm keeping exclusive to the newsletter. I kind of want to you know keep my newsletter subscribers happy in that respect. But I think it might be time to branch out. And then at a certain point, I'll I'll be uh, crowdfunding likely crowdfunding both of them to to self publish. Yeah, yeah. Cause a lot of people still want to have that physical copy. They're in their hand right. or on their shelf to look at on their on their display. I, I want it. Right. I want a copy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I. I actually mostly consume digital comics these days uh, through Comicsology. I've I've mostly gone digital because I the convenience. To be honest, I like I also well not just convenience, but because everything's done so digitally these days, especially the coloring. It's nice having that that beautiful, you know, colorist intended image on my iPad. It's it's kind of like I get to see the way that it's really intended because printing is sometimes so off color wise. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I want physical copies of, of, of the stuff I'm working on. It doesn't feel complete. You can get it 99.9% of, of the way there in terms of feeling like you've done the work. But until you hold it in your hands, it's almost like, well, it's not quite there yet. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like holding this. It's, it's, a, it's a good feeling to, to hold the finished product in your hand. One way you go to conventions, people can physically buy it when you're at a convention. Yes, there's too. that too. There's that too, obviously. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 happy also that I might get a chance to to put a comic adaptation of Patrick Girl Patrick Girl of Oz out in the world, and that'll be the first time that's ever happened. You know, yeah. no one's ever done it. So, I'm I'm looking forward to to having to making that mark, to putting that you know that that mark out there and saying I did that. I did I did my Oz adaptation. I helped get get the story out in comic form. Um, and I'll, that'll be a bucket list check off for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I completely understand that. Cause it's, it's really cool. I've seen the art and I, and I just, it, I hate to say it, but it like everything else, it just looks fun. You know, I've oh, said thanks. it, I've said it earlier. It looks, it looks, they both look really fun. So yeah. I appreciate it. You can see the, 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 you know, what, what serves as the cover right now in my banner behind me. It's the, I'm not sure if that'll be the final cover, but there's some of the art right there. Okay. <laughs> Great. So for those watching, watching live you can see the picture in the background and it shows it up you guys can go and just look online go to otisframpton.com you can you can see all of the art 
right on there as well. You you've switched because you started off mostly not digital, right? When you first started doing art, it was like pen and paper, pencil and paper. Oh yeah, well sure. I mean, uh, growing up in the pre digital world, you had mm-hmm. to. But I'll tell you what, I've always hated drawing on paper. I when when I got my first tablet uh, in '99, I was like, well, that, that's it. I'm home. I'm finally home. I still hate drawing on paper. I yeah. rarely touch paper. I'm very much a creature of digital uh, and do everything. Almost everything I do is digital. Um, and these days it's all done on the iPad and procreate. I do all my comic work uh, in the iPad, even lettering. I, 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 so it's, I love, the, I love having it all right there. I can just grab my iPad no matter where I am, work on whatever I'm working on. But yeah, I've, I've never liked drawing on paper. <laughs> how is the, how is the learning curve going from, you know, pen and paper, pencil and paper to a pad. And of course the, the technology has evolved so much over the last, even the last two, three years, uh, let alone the last 10 years. Um, how has that been good for the business and how difficult has it been to shift and adjust as the technology advances? I, well, it wasn't difficult for me at all. Like I said, I felt like I was home when I, when I got my first Intuos tablet. I was like, this is what I've been waiting for this. I didn't know I was waiting, waiting for it, but I'm so waiting for it. Because paper has always been one of those things that, drawing on paper has been one of those things that, that kind of psychs me out as an artist because it feels so permanent. I love the fact that if I'm working on a, a page of a comic uh, in Procreate and I don't like how I've drawn, delete, delete the layer, move on, delete the layer, move on, new layer. It, yeah. it, it's so psychologically freeing to me uh, as opposed to, oh, I've got to erase this. And if I erase it, it's going to mark the page. And then, oh, I've done that. Can you get that marked? Totally? It, it's such a, a psych out for me when I have to actually draw on paper. And frankly, uh, when I do draw on paper these days, um, I will do the first, I'll do the initial digital sketch uh, or pencils in Procreate. I'll print to a light blue line and then I'll ink over that. I, I hardly ever actually draw on paper. I can't remember last time I drew something straight, you know, from scratch on paper. Yeah. It's always, there's always a digital component for the most part these days. And to me, there's no difference uh, in, in terms of the reality of it. You know what I mean? It's still hand-drawn. I'm, yeah. I'm still, you know, I'm, it's, it's all hand-drawn. I, I don't do anything that, that isn't um, completely drawn by, by me and the stylist. So I, I guess... In some ways, I was always waiting for digital. Yeah. You know? How's that for coloring, doing coloring and lighting and having lighting effects and all that kind of stuff? Obviously, you don't can't do some of that stuff as easily on paper either. So you, like, oh, yeah. you, can, you can make those arts. You can make the Patchwork Girl of Oz just jump out of the page at you with the amazing colors. Whereas well, in the old go, way, go it might have been a little more difficult. Absolutely. And it still, it still flummoxes me whenever I have to use actual you know, like markers or something. But to, to go back to what I was saying um, about when I got back into comics via Spawn Number One, yeah, um, you know, that was one of the first comics that where computer coloring was 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 used in a way that that it changed everything. You yeah, I've never looked at the colors it, and and one one of the reasons why I eventually said, you know what, I'm going to stop pursuing the film path and go back to comics is because I finally saw comics as a as a viable way of telling my own stories almost i, I treat oddly normal and other the other comics to some degree not necessarily as comics but more like if i was doing an adaptation of an existing animated movie that's that's the kind of feel i'm always going for with my comics it, i want it to feel like 
you could almost see it on screen in a sense. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was my whole goal. It's like the, the combination of, of the new computer coloring uh, combined with the, the creator's rights aspect of image when they first came out, I was like, wow, that's, this is the way to do it. This is, this is also what I've been waiting for. And I didn't know I was waiting for it. The, the idea of being able to not have to say, well, I guess I'm going to be a comic artist. Got to go try to draw Spider-Man, you know, instead of that, you know, saying what stories do you have to tell? It was, it was so exciting to me. It's still exciting to me. I love creator own stuff. You also have a thing called um, Gumroad tutorials where you're kind of like help people learn procreate and tutorials and stuff like that as well. Yeah, I got. A, I have a couple of those things. It almost seemed um, sort of like you had to do that if you're in the in the world of Procreate. And uh, I've been like Procreate is is the program I've been an evangelist for since it first came out. I knew when it came out in 2011 when I got it on my iPad that it would eventually be the thing that I would use, even though it wasn't quite there yet. You know what I mean? So I still use Photoshop for a while. But um, yeah, I've got a few a few Procreate uh, tutorials. I think. There are animation tutorials, actually, yeah. which is weird because so I'm not really an animator. But when when the animation function came to Procreate in version five, uh, I was playing with an uh, early build of it. I was a beta tester for it and I'm just loving it. Like, um, like animation is the kind of is the thing that if I could do it, if I had time, that's what I do. Yeah. I love animation. I love playing with animation. Anyway, um, so uh, anyway, Procreate actually saw me playing around um uh, with things, uh, what I've been doing in beta testing, and then they hired me to do their uh, their uh, one of their animation commissions for version five. Okay. That was a lot of fun. That was so much fun getting to do that because it was just like twenty second. Or was it even that long? I forget. It was a little piece of animation, and I basically just got to do whatever I wanted. It was so much fun. I just think that's really cool knowing knowing your history and how you got into this business. Uh, uh, we discussed not. You know, you didn't go to colleges. You you learned on your own, and you found things like this. And now here you are putting those tools out there for other people, uh, you know, other young people that can come up and look at that, and they can learn and maybe follow in your same footsteps to be like, I can do this. And I I, I really that's the main reason I wanted to highlight that because I just thought that was such a cool thing to see that in your career, you know, coming up to where you are now and how you got there, and then you're giving back to the people so that those who might not be able to afford to go to a fancy art school can do the same thing you did and get there and you're giving them the tools. And I think that's super cool. So on behalf of them, thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate it. I, you know, I don't do a lot of, of that kind of thing um, mainly because, because of the, the lack of formal training, I almost feel like I'm still a student yeah. and, and don't really have a right to tell others how to do something. But if there are, if there are little things that I feel like I can, I can help out with, definitely try to help out you know well you you definitely deserve it and you've done some amazing things and uh as a person who also struggles with that whole imposter syndrome i uh i tell you you're you're there and you deserve it and you oh. definitely are a person that people should look up to and learn from so uh, i hate that stuff imposter syndrome I, right we, we gotta find a way to like just you know if 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 Existence is a simulation. We need the code to get rid of that because nobody should have experienced that. It's the exactly. worst. <laughs> I agree 110%. Uh, I know you had a slight time at C2E2. You got to do do some stuff there until you ended up getting sick. Uh, you enjoy enjoy conventions and stuff like that. You like going to those you mentioned earlier. Do you have any coming up? Yeah. Um, again, if anybody from uh, who was at C2E2 went there and missed me because I was gone two days because I got COVID. I do apologize again. Um, but 
couldn't do anything about it. Uh, my next appearances, I'm going to be at uh, the Source Comics and Games in Roseville, Minnesota, on Free Comic Book Day. I, I'm there pretty much pretty much every year, except for the you know the COVID years, obviously. But it's it's always a good time at the Source. It's a great store, great people who run it, and um, I love doing it. And then um, next month, I think it's June 4th, 5th, and 6th, uh, Minnesota, uh, June 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, sorry, uh, Minnesota Con at the Minneapolis Com- uh, Convention Center. I think this is their first year doing the show. Um, so I'll be curious to see how that, that, that plays out. It's not, um, they're, they're always trying to find a new show for that convention center, right. and it never seems to stick. <laughs> well, hopefully this one, this one sticks around. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm, I think I'm gonna. I might try to get into uh, Twin City Con later this year too. But I don't do a lot of conventions these days. Um, even before the the pandemic, I kind of slowed down a lot because I don't travel well. I'm just not a, not a good traveler. Yeah. Um, and I done I done convention I done conventions for so many years, so many conventions, and I was kind of burnt out on it. Yeah. Yeah, they, take their, they take their toll, all the travel and the seeing people yeah. and the, you know, all of that can definitely take its toll on and one's mental expense. health and physical health and all of that. I understand. Yeah. And bank account. <laughs> and bank account. Yes. It's, it's not cheap. The, the travel. I mean, as much as I, I actually did like San Diego comic con, that was, that's probably my second favorite convention of the year, but it's so expensive, you know, um, especially for somebody like me, who's a, you know, I'm a small creator. I don't have a, you know, a lot of resources, I, but I, I love going. I love going. C2E2 is my favorite show of the year for sure. So that's one of the reasons why it was such a huge, you know, like bummer that, that I had to drop out two, or one day in. I love that show. It's I love everything about C2E2. Well, hopefully we'll see you there next year and, and there will hopefully. be no, no illness or sicknesses to, <laughs> to hold you back. People can find you on Twitter at Otis Frampton. Uh, Instagram at Otis Frampton, or they can find you at otisframpton.com. Uh, you also have like a link tree and all kinds of yeah. other stuff there for all of your plethora of links. Cause you've got a lot of, uh, you're, you're in on all kinds of places, but those are kind of your main, main ones. So, yeah. So for the most part, uh, Otis Frampton, all one word, that's pretty much me. Uh, I, I haven't come across another one. So right. Pretty, you lucked out. Pretty, you lucked out to get an easy, an easy, uh, name on all the social medias and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so those that are watching here live, stick around. We're going to do a live session Q&A. If you have questions for Otis, please put them in the chat and we will get to them after the podcast episode is complete here in just a moment. Uh, I just want to let everyone know that April 24th, we're going to be joined by award-winning author Nathan Lowell. He's known for his books in the Golden Age of the Solar Clipper series, The Shaman's Tales, and The Tanith Fairport Adventures. He also wrote one of my favorite books, A Wizard's Butler, and I think he's coming out with a sequel to that. So he's going to be joining us April 24th. That podcast will be available for download on the 25th. Also, if you like board games, tabletop games, and the like, May 8th, Danny Efforts from Sovereignty Games, who creates a digital version of all of these games to be able to play online with your friends, is going to be joining us to talk about tabletop games in the digital world, their unique app, and all of the great companies that they're working with. That, again, is going to be May 8th. The podcast will be available on the 9th, and we will have a code for you to get 60 free days with their app. 
So again, that's going to be May 8th and then the podcast will be available on the 9th. So I want to thank you guys all for listening to the show and hanging out with myself and Otis Frampton. Some amazing stories, amazing tales and some inside uh, looks at his career and some of his comics and his web comics and art and everything that you've done so far. Otis, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you uh, for joining the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. For everybody listening, please, please click all the buttons, click like, follow, rate, review, all of those things. It definitely helps us and it helps our guests. It's going to get eyes on them all that they might not have seen before. So thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for pushing those buttons. Thank you for giving those ratings. Thank you for giving those reviews. Continue to do so and do that for any other shows or podcasts that you follow as well. For Otis, I am Nick, and I want to thank you all for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves, and I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. Epic Realms.